Welcome back to Beyond Damascus, where encounter meets mission. It's It's been a long week, potentially, since you've heard the sweet sound of our voices. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, encounter, uh, Beyond Damascus is the place where, uh, like St. Paul, um, we are propelled from our initial encounter with Jesus into a, into a transformative mission that impacts the world. Uh, I'm Aaron Richards, uh, your, your host for today. I'm joined with my brother in Christ and co-host, Dan Demetri. Hello, Aaron. Welcome oh, back. Oh, man, I am being <laughs> serenaded right now with your sweet voice. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Uh, we're so blessed to be here. So Dan and I run a, uh, we, we run a, a ministry called Damascus, and um, uh, we're located here on Central Ohio, and it's, it's a missionary community where, where we've, we've embraced a call to awaken, empower, and equip a generation of Catholics to, to live um, the adventure of faith. And uh, we do that through a variety of different methods. And, and we, we run summer camps and we run conferences year round and we run events for youth and for adults. And um, ultimately it's, it's, it's an incredible opportunity f- for us to, to live out that evangelistic call, that evangelistic call. And um, we'll be talking today about, about some of the things that really make uh, the the culture that we've got there unique and, and why why youth outreach particularly is so important and impactful. So um, I'm I'm pumped. We're going to kick off the show with uh, with prayer. Dan, would you lead us? Yeah, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Jesus, I just proclaim the truth that you love your church and that you love your bride so much. And Lord, you've made a promise to us and uh, through Saint Paul in Ephesians five that you would present the church back to the Father without any spot or blemish or wrinkle. And Lord, I, I pray that you would just renew the beauty of Catholicism again, that yeah, you would Lord. allow the church to regain her splendor again, that we would see our church fully alive, radiating with joy and beauty. And Lord, I, I just pray uh, that today's show would captivate our hearts uh, to go into the church and to restore the culture that you desire for the church to have, Lord, that we would live with passion and purpose, with joy, with orthodoxy, um, with commitment to you, our uh, our bridegroom. Thank you, Jesus. God, yeah, we, we pray, God, for your for your leadership today. God, take this show um, and, and guide it into the hearts of those who need it. Uh, we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Beyond Damascus is a co-production of St. Gabriel Radio and EWTN Radio, and it's carried all across the global EWTN Catholic Radio Network. Um, we're blessed to be able to uh, to share this time with you today. So, uh, listeners, if, if you've ever, um, I don't know, if you've ever in your commitment to daily prayer asked yourself, uh, where should I look? Um, where, you know, where, where should I start? Um, one of the best places to start is in our daily readings. And, uh, today's show, um, found a lot of inspiration. I know for me, even in just the daily readings this week. So, uh, we are, we're jumping into the book of Daniel. And, um, I remember in, uh, in youth ministry, I, I worked for Dan and I both worked for, for 12 years in, in parish youth ministry. And this was one of the most transformative and impactful messages um, that that I remember uh, speaking with with our with our young people. So, if you haven't read Daniel, I would encourage you to jump uh, jump there in your in your prayer time this week. All right, how does it start? It's got this unique situation that's set up, and um, I, I want this to kind of be the launch point for uh, for our conversation today. Right, that um, first we we get the setup in the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim, King of Judah. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came and laid siege to Jerusalem. That's not a good deal. 
um, the Lord handed over to him Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, and some of the vessels of the temple of God, and he carried them off to the land of Shinar, and he placed the vessels in the temple treasury of his God. The king told Ashpenaz, the chief chamberlain, this is where things get interesting, okay? So, um, so Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon is about the work of destroying the kingdom of Israel, right? Destroying the city of Jerusalem and the kingdom of Israel, the people of God. And the way that he chooses to uh, direct his attack is particularly notable, and, and, and we see that here um, in the verses following. So um, the king told Ashpenaz's chief chamberlain, bring in some of the children of Israel of royal blood and of nobility, young men without any defect, handsome, intelligent, and wise, quick to learn, prudent in judgment, such as could take their place in the king's palace. Okay? So, um, the, the target of Babylon in the destruction of Jerusalem and Israel isn't to send in a military force to crush the walls and destroy the people, right? It's not to starve them. It's not to destroy their economy. What does he desire to do? He actually, uh, he asks that the young and influential men of Israel would be brought to him, the best of the best, the best and the brightest, that they would be brought so that he could afflict transformation from the inside out, that he could actually uh, destroy to, 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 to change the culture that existed at the core of these individuals' lives. What does he say? He says, um, there they would be taught the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. After three years' training, they were to enter the king's service. The king allotted them a daily portion of food and wine from the royal table. And among those men um, were, and this is where we get the setup, of course, for the rest of the book, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. And you remember the end of the story, um, but, but this is kind of the, 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 the point that we want to launch from today. Um, how, how interesting it is that in an attempt to change the people of God, the enemy of Israel chose to afflict the culture first. What do you mean by that, Aaron? So, yeah, so the the enemy of God identified that in order to actually change the direction of a nation, um, that it, it, the the most pivotal point of attack would be that which is most fundamental, would be the identity of the nation, would be the identity of the people, would be the the way that the way that young men, young women, um, understood their history, understood their identity, understood their personality, and I think in our church today we're experiencing a similar thing, where um, where for so many of us, uh, you know, we're familiar with the statistics uh, within the church that that we would identify that we are, we are a part of a church in decline, right? That we would identify that we yeah we know we know the reality um, that 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 Catholics are leaving the practice of their faith and where are they going? Um, I think that I would point and society would point to a culture that's more compelling, right? And um, and I, I bet the same conversation would have been had in ancient Israel in the, in the attack of Babylon that, you know, this, this practice of our fathers, the faith of our fathers, it was good for a time, but man, this new culture is really compelling. Yeah. I mean, in Nebuchadnezzar's, uh, he, he's, he's being brilliant here, right? He's trying to, he's trying to change. He sees that the Israelite people, they've got a strong culture, uh, a way of life. 
and he has to change that. And so he's going to influence the influencers to change them over so that they, they live the culture that Nebuchadnezzar wants. Yeah. And I think a lot of times what we do is we look out at the, at the world, the world's culture, and we, as Catholics, we're like, oh, man, the world's culture is so bad. We've got to change it. We've got to change it. We've got to change it. And, uh, and we're, we're so compelled to change the world's culture. Um, but the, the best way to change the world's culture is first to change the church's culture. <laughs> like that yeah. we, need, we need to live as the church. We need to have a strong culture within the church of people who are rooted in their identity, rooted in who they're called to be, who are living lives um, that are uh, gospel-oriented and yep. are compelling. And then those lives go into the culture, and they're the ones who influence culture. They transform it. That sometimes the if we want the end result of a transformed world, we first need to look inside the yeah. church and say, well, how do we transform the church? Yeah. Right. Every, every parish has a culture. Um, you go in and some of them are, are vibrant and lively. Some of them are um, tired and apathetic. Some of them are full and overflowing. Some of them are empty and sad. Some of them are uh, uh, very youthful and have uh, kids at mass and have babies crying um, and others are not. And so some we, of them have the Demite family. <laughs> oh yeah. My, my family is not at mass. That's so, Oh boy, I always, I always when when we when we finally had um, like our children and we were in our pew, I was like, man, mass mass doesn't like mass feels like World War Three, man. It's like it's like oh my god, no, it's great. Um, but uh, what we're what we want to talk about today is just this idea of how to how to influence culture, yeah. by forming culture, yeah. That um, the way we're going to actually influence culture in the world and transform the world is force, first by forming strong culture in the church. Yeah. And I, I think that's one thing where we've been trying to change the world and we've been trying to influence culture in the world. Um, but but first, we really need to know who we are as church and yeah. be church fully alive so that when we go in the world, it changes things around us, yep. right? Yep. And so it, I, it, I know, Dan, for, for you and I, uh, this, this uh, reading, this concept was really influential for us in youth ministry. Because we realize that okay, we have a responsibility to actually form uh, form the lives of young people um, in such a way that we realize that this is our call. That our call is actually to carry what is what is um, core to who we are, right? To to actually establish our place um, as as the ones who are a part of the personality of the bride, right? What is culture if not the personality of an organization, of a, of a body, of a family, of a church, of a nation? Yeah, exactly. And, and, and we, are, we are the ones who ultimately carry that personality. So if, if there's, I mean, gosh, if there's at all any level of dissatisfaction with our experience of Catholicism, it's no one's responsibility but our own. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Teaching... I mean, evangelization is not just simply teaching people, it's forming people, it's shaping people into the lifestyle of Jesus, right? And so we, we want to create environments that we're able to form people and, and show them the lifestyle of Jesus. One of my favorite quote, I think, of all time is Benedict XVI. He said, um, evangelization is teaching people the art of living. Yep. And, yep. Um, and, and as we evangelize within the church, people have, have forgotten how to live. And if you think about um, the art of living. Well, what is, what's the definition of culture? It's the way of life of a people, right? And so you could easily identify, 
uh, an Italian culture, right? Mm. There's there's an actual culture associated with uh, with with an Italian family, and if you walk into a, an Italian family that has a strong culture, you just you know like they're gonna be they're gonna be loud. They're eating Italian food. They're 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 conversing back and forth. It's very touchy, like they're very physical, touchy, and stuff like that. Like there's Italian culture. There's German culture, right? Like they're they're more quiet and stoic and hardworking. There's like differences and you're, you're painting with a pretty wide brush there, Dan. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but we we have we have these we have these cultures that we know right and yeah. um and so uh what is the culture of your parish and and what is the culture uh of your uh of your family right and and um and are you a victim to it or can we influence it yeah can we influence it but it, it's that culture actually has so much influence on you as a person that whatever you grow up so often it influences you and if it's a negative culture it's going to have a negative influence if it's a positive culture it's going to have a positive influence and so what we want to share about is just how do we form positive cultures within the church and um to do that I think it's 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 good for us just to kind of talk about how when we felt a call to start forming people and shaping mm-hmm. people we started to ask well how do we how do we form culture and we started to look actually not not uh, only to the church but to great organizations well which organizations have a great culture right like what what makes you want to go to Chick-fil-A um, versus a McDonald's there's something about the culture at Chick-fil-A it's, it's right Kanye sings about it <laughs> that is that is exactly <laughs> the reason right my, my nine-year-old has been rapping about Chick-fil-A for the last two weeks. It's hilarious. <laughs> oh man, that is perfect. Um, or, or you know, there's the and so, so what was it? How do these companies form a strong company culture? Or yeah. you look at the different religious orders of the past. How is it that the Benedictines have been around for hundreds of years? Or the Franciscans. And the Dominicans for hundreds of years because they have a particular way of life. Yep. And when someone enters their way of life, they're able to form them into that way of life to main, to actually uh, share that way of life with another person so that they can share that with the world. Mm. So we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, just ways that we've been compelled and uh, convicted to form people into a way of life so that uh, a culture is formed in their hearts and their minds. So we're not just teaching them about the faith, but we're forming them in the faith yeah. so that they know how to go out and influence culture. Oh, You're listening yeah. to Beyond Damascus, a co-production of St. Gabriel Catholic Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. We'll be right back. Why do we need Catholic Radio? Because not everybody is sitting in front of a computer or watching their television set at home. How about when driving to work? Catholic Radio is there for you. I may be a Catholic priest, but I'm still a student of the faith, and Catholic Radio helps supply good material, whether it be a question-and-answer format show, whether it be a show itself on doctrine or theology. I, myself, as a priest, am always learning. Father Wade thinks Catholic Radio is important. So should you. Now, not only can you watch EWTN anywhere, but anytime with EWTN On Demand. Get on-demand access to more than 12,000 EWTN programs, including live shows and specials, all in one place, all free. Just go to EWTN.com forward slash on-demand. There's nothing to fill out, no memberships required, and no fees to pay. All you need is an internet connection, and you're good to go. EWTN On Demand. Fast, easy, and free. Hello and welcome back to Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. 
We want to be a people who are uh, on fire with our love for Jesus Christ and are bringing the gospel into the world. And we're talking about how to uh, engage people in uh, forming culture, right? And first and foremost in our parishes, so that when we have a strong culture in the church, we can take that culture into the world and influence the secular culture. Why why is this a passion for you today, Dan? You know, I think because um, we... it's 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 a way of life that convicts people's hearts to change, yeah. not necessarily dogmas and doctrines all the time, right? That that I think sometimes the especially in post the postmodern world, people are convicted by lifestyles, and they're convicted by uh, a compelling uh, life that that shows happiness and joy, not necessarily with the best intellectual argument, mm-hmm. and and so when I can think of like a thousand different hallmark. Uh, statements right <laughs> people people don't care what you know until they know that you care and exactly uh, it yeah it's, it's lifestyle that speaks it's life it's testimony people are compelled by testimony you think of every single commercial you watch it's someone giving a testimony about how pantene pro v has transformed their hair or how this diet has transformed their lifestyle you know and, and like we we are people in the in the postmodern world who we listen to the testimony of others and we gauge whether or not that lifestyle that that person's living and if the testimony is authentic and then I believe, right? And our testimony of Jesus is often found uh, within the culture that we bring into the world. So like if, if we have a, a beautiful, mm. compelling church culture, right, where people come to the church and they're convicted because they see people who are living lives with passion and purpose and joy and fulfillment, that's what convicts them to say yes. What blows my mind, Aaron, so we do youth ministry, right? And um, one of the statistics that came out in a study called Going, Going, Gone was that the average age when a young person decides, so they, they researched millennials who had left the church and they were trying to discover why, uh, what age did they decide to check out? At what age did they make the interior decision that they were no longer going to practice their faith as an adult? And they discovered that the average age when a young person makes the interior decision to no longer practice their faith as an adult was age 13. 13. And a 13-year-old, if you're thinking about like 11, 12, 13, no 13-year-old is sitting around saying like, hmm... Uh, they're, they're not making an intellectual decision to yeah. leave the church. They're yeah. not making a moral decision to make the church. And they're not making a, uh, a a decision to leave the church because of some scandals, right? They're actually simply asking, in those middle school years, they're asking, where will I find a sense of belonging and where will I be happy? <laughs> where will I have fun? <laughs> where will I have fun? Where will I enjoy myself? Where will I find joy? And, yeah. and the culture of church has to show people, once again, mm. that... That life, life with Christ is a wonderful adventure, that life with Christ brings joy and happiness, and that we have a community. And one of the things that we wanted to form people and have a culture at Damascus in our ministry, and we, we realized it was really hard to, um, if you will, to form the kind of people we wanted to form that would live the lifestyle of Jesus for the long term, right? We wanted people who were um, committed to the Lord and to daily prayer, daily, I mean, regular sacraments. We wanted people who were committed to the mission life of Jesus. We wanted people who showed joy in their lives. And, And so what we did was as we... As we were discerning, how do we form a culture within our ministry? Just like uh, we we wanted to have core values, right, or core principles that we would um, form people in. We called them our missionary mindset, and that's that's because mindsets drive behaviors. And it's so easy 
and, and evangelization, a lot of times we're just trying to drive behaviors. We're like, don't do this, don't do this, do this, right? Do this. And we're trying to tell people like, okay, if you want to be holy, you have to do these three things and you have to not do these four things, right? And like, we're giving them kind of behaviors as opposed to actually transforming their minds and their hearts to decide which behaviors to follow in. And um, so we had these mindsets always drive behaviors. So we came up with our missionary mindset. And initially we just started asking ourselves, well, what are the what are the uh, the way of life or what are the, the characteristics we want people to live in the faith? And do you want to share kind of what we came up with, uh, oh, Aaron, yeah. our missionary oh, yeah. mindsets? So we, we've got, we, we boiled it down to five missionary mindsets that are core to the life at Damascus, right? And um, I would encourage you as we, sh- so this isn't a story about Damascus, right? This is, this is a story about, or uh, hopefully, hopefully something that's going to convict your heart and, and give you some inspiration toward how I can live a lifestyle like this in my own life, in my own family, um, in my own business, in my own parish. So, uh, so yeah, our, our hope is that today would be a practical show. Here's practically how we did it. All right. Um, we identified, uh, you know, five of the, five of the, the, the traits that were core to who we are. And what we came up with was that as an organization and as individuals, we're committed to living a lifestyle that is Jesus centered, that is mission focused, that is joy filled, that is obedient, and where every one of us is a toilet plunger. <laughs> okay. What in the world do you mean by that? So it's great because, uh, yeah, that's exactly the reaction that I want you to have. That last one's thrown in there to keep you awake and on your toes. <laughs> um, no, here's the deal. So uh, each of these five components is is critical to the nature of who we are as an organization. That when you come to Damascus, that you realize that um, this is a place where every individual on this campus, every person on this staff, um, every welcoming face is someone who encounters the life of Jesus. You know, uh, we, we have we have priests who 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 share a week with us in the summer to kind of help provide our sacramental needs as a as a camp and. Um, just one of the, one of the, one of my favorite testimonies of our staff culture ever um, happened two years ago. We had a we had a priest who was visiting, and he uh, you know we, we start camp on Sunday, so he finished his his Sunday mass rotation and and uh, and arrived late afternoon on Sunday after a long drive across the country and. Um, and he, uh, he, uh, said mass for us for our opening liturgy on Sunday evening and then went to bed tired. Um, and then the next morning woke up for personal prayer and he figured, all right, uh, you know, I'm just going to sneak up to the chapel before breakfast and, um, you know, have some alone time with me and Jesus. And, uh, he, he said he, he went up to the chapel before breakfast, understanding that our, our staff had stayed up until, you know, 1130 the night before, long after he had gone to bed. And sure enough, there wasn't an empty seat in the chapel, right? Programming hadn't started. Um, uh, breakfast hadn't even begun. And here were, you know, 20, 30 of our staff members who had committed to spending time with our Lord in the, you know, in, in the Eucharistic chapel, um, before the program even began. And it, he, he said for him, it was that moment that, that convinced him that this was a ministry that had Jesus at its core. 
Yeah, and it's so easy. Like so often, we just try to form behaviors where we're like, okay, I want I want to make sure that people are praying for you know thirty minutes every day, yeah. right? Or I want to make sure that everyone gets in a daily rosary, and I, or I want to make sure that the and we're we're focused on behaviors as opposed to the heart, right? Where yeah. we're and a culture forms a way of life for people, and a way of life is that we just wanted people to be focused, like sit, that their entire lives would be centered on Jesus. This is what Jesus speaks of when he ma- he speaks of making him Lord of our lives, that yep. everything everything we do is centered around Jesus. That so Jesus isn't our first priority or he's not some bucket list that we have to fulfill. He's actually, he is involved in absolutely everything. Yeah. He's the center of everything. He's the center of every conversation. He's the center of every thought. He's the center of every action. He becomes a center of everything mm-hmm. we do, every relationship, every discernment, every decision, that Jesus becomes a center of who we are. And when Jesus is the center, then Jesus is on our, our lips, right? We speak yeah. his name and uh, uh, and, and we're, we're, we're joyfully thinking about him and, and engaging him in our yeah. daily lives and that we don't live a we don't have a prayer time but we have a, a prayer life right where <laughs> pray without ceasing because Jesus is the center of everything and um and and I think that like that's that core principle to be Jesus centered right and then we wanted a people who are mission focused who were actually focused on mission wherever they went that it wasn't yep. like okay I'm going to have my service project that I do or I'm going to go and um you know, go, uh, for my two hour, uh, assignment at the church that I volunteered for, right? It's not about volunteer hours. It's not about a service project, but instead it's about being mission focused at all moments that I get home from work and I'm tired from a long work day and I'm walking into my mission with my family or I'm at work and I'm on mission. I'm focused on how do I evangelize in this moment or I'm in the grocery store and I'm focused on mission. How do I witness to the gospel in the midst of Walmart, right? That we want to be people who are joy-filled, right? That we are passionately and joyfully witnessing to the joy of the yeah. gospel. This was a great, great testimony for this one, too. So um, joy, being joy-filled, is, is, it's one of our missionary mindsets that's core to who we are as an organization. That we, you know, one of the most transformative experiences that, that I think we, we, receive, we receive testimony of constantly is that, you know, um, I brought my kid to camp, and from the first moment that we drove onto the campus, it was just so clear that there was an atmosphere of joy here, right? Mm-hmm. Every person I meet, there's a smile on their face. Everything that I ask someone, their, their response is positive, right? Um, and this is by design. Uh, I don't know, some famous awesome holy saint once said that joy is the surest sign of the presence of God, right? That that, that when we when we embody the fruit of the Spirit that that the Lord um, the Lord is manifest in our in our presence and um awesome testimony so one of our one of our board members who who uh was a was a big um supporter and uh, a, a very influential um benefactor ultimately of of the work of Damascus we wanted to honor he and his wife with um with identifying uh and naming um one of the areas of our campus right and uh, for all of the other um, people that have that have supported um, financially the the mission of Damascus, we identify you know who's your favorite saint that we can name this chapel after, or who's your favorite saint that we can name this cabin in uh, in memory of, and uh, and when we when we met with this individual and his wife, uh, they kind of came to us and they said you know we've been thinking about um, which saints actually would really impact us or or who who we would like to name this this particular area of the campus after and. Um, they decided we want to name the lake and it's not going to be the name of a saint, but we want to name him after the experience we have when we come here. 
And the experience we have when we come here is an experience of joy every time. So we're going to name the lake, Lake Joy. And uh, it was it was a, it was an awesome moment because the Holy Spirit was so present. And uh, I was like, yeah, this is exactly what happens here every day, that this describes perfectly the atmosphere that's created here. And it was also a moment of like strategic victory where uh, where I realized, wow, so we have succeeded in implementing a culture of joy yeah. and an environment of joy in our ministry to the point where even someone who, who, you know, who we depend on and who we, and we look to, to, for, for influence and for help, um, in his own experience and his wife's experience came and they said, this is, this is our experience of you. Yep. This is, this is, this is what we know you to be. Yeah. And that's, it's, it's about forming the kind of lifestyle we want to live so that if I, if I know that I'm called to be Jesus centered, mission focused and joy filled here, then that's what I am out in the world as well. So it's not that they just, we, we live this when we're at our parish or we live this when we're with our small group or we live this when we're with Damascus, right? But that that becomes our lifestyle, our culture, that it's, it's how I live. It's how I interact with the world. And then we had those last two that we want to be Jesus centered, mission focused, joy filled, obedient, right? That it's so important. Uh, uh, us as Catholics, that we're obedient uh, to the church's teachings, right? Um, but then also that we're obedient to the Holy Spirit and the promptings the Holy Spirit gives to us that in the, uh, you know, when I'm engaging in a conversation, sometimes I'm just like, oh, I, I should say this, right? And I, or I should, I think like you get that gut feeling inside of you, but then like fear holds you back and you got to go past fear and be obedient to the promptings the Holy Spirit gives you to actually speak up when God is asking you to speak mm-hmm. up or to, to share the gospel or to proclaim a truth over a person's life when it's uncomfortable or difficult uh, and willing to, to be obedient to whatever God asks of you. Yeah. And then you, you threw out that weird one, Aaron. Why would, <laughs> why would we be toilet plungers? Oh, uh, this is great. Once again, it's a three off I'm balance. I'm offended by um, that, actually. I hope, no. I hope that, no. Uh, <laughs> it's it's great because we want to be the ones who who get the job done right um that you're never going to come to damascus and uh very practically you're never going to come to damascus and see a toilet that needs unplugging and be you know have a sign waiting for our facilities guys to come and take care of it why because every single member of our staff knows that it's our responsibility to do what needs done mm-hmm. um you know that, that we're going to seek out the jobs that need accomplished and finish them um, that we that we realize that it's it's always your responsibility. It's always my responsibility. My, my my favorite saying that goes along with this one is that there's an expectation that literally you need to fill your pockets with trash. Um, that when you walk by a piece of trash on the ground, you don't just think, "Hey, somebody else will grab it," but you pick it up and you stick it in your pocket. And at the end of every day, you can you can walk to the trash can and you can empty out all the stuff that you've picked up over the course of the day. It's also, I mean, our responsibility isn't just to our facilities, but also to our people. Mm-hmm. How many times in the course of your life, listeners, do you, do, you, do you have that prompting for engaging in a conversation that you know is going to take work and you know is going to be gross and you know is going to, um, you know, potentially uh, be open to conflict and actually require you to deeply invest in somebody's well-being? And yeah. I know if if you're anything like me, there's a tendency oftentimes to just avoid it, right? To let somebody else take care of it, um, to let somebody else have those difficult conversations. But but we know that hey, when when I when I see a need, that the responsibility is mine. Yeah, get in the dirt, get get dirty, right? And I, I think that just this Jesus does this by getting on his uh, knees and washing yeah. his disciples' feet. That he became a servant to all. And I think sometimes we think that. 
um, ministry is supposed to be, or that working with people in the work of evangelization is supposed to be all exciting and joyful and easy. And, um, but really ministry takes hard work. Yeah. Like you look at the lives of the life of Jesus and it was a life poured out. It was a hard life. It, you know, he says the, um, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. He was a, an itinerant preacher that would journey around and laboring and he'd, he'd go off in the distance and pray with his father, but then he would, like work to bring about the kingdom of God and proclaim the kingdom of God all day, every day. And, uh, that, that we want to lay our lives down in service to, to our King, that we'd be mission focused and work hard, like toward the plungers. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Dan, when, when we, uh, when we as Damascus had the opportunity to sit down and to ask ourselves, okay, what are the, what are the, the mindsets by which we want our culture to be defined? Um, you know, that that was a process that that many of us probably don't have the opportunity to do in the context of our workplace or in the context of our parish because unless you are the owner of a business um i, I suppose many of us are uh the head of a household right mm. that these are the conversations that that maybe we have the opportunity to have um but our influence of our environment isn't merely limited to the capacity we have to define characteristics, right? The, the capacity that we have to define mindsets. But so transitioning now, um, how can we take the, the good, um, I don't know, the, the, the model that maybe we've spoken about today or, or others that you may have seen, and how can we influence um, aspects of culture that, that maybe we're not in charge of? Well, I think um, if to take a step back a little bit on that because it's yeah like the where if we practice where we are in charge yeah then we get good at where we're not in charge yeah so like i think about like if you think about where do you have uh leadership over people and are are you forming people or are you trying to control behaviors right and so like my house as a as a dad i've got leadership over my home am i simply trying to manage my children's behavior or am i forming their mindsets that will lead them to the proper behaviors for the rest of their life right What's, what's the difference between managing behavior and forming mindsets it's the so it's the difference between me telling a person this is how you have to pray versus saying you're called to be Jesus centered, right? Yeah. Or this is what your everyday life has to look like. And and the beauty is when when you convict their hearts that I want to be Jesus centered, yeah. then they come and say, "Well, what does that look like?" And then mm-hmm. so they've become Jesus centered and they're hungry for that. Now they're looking for the behaviors as opposed to saying, "And in your home, right? You could you could imagine like what what kind of a lifestyle do you want to live as a family, yeah. right? Like and if if this is a lifestyle that we desire to live as a family, these are the 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 key characteristics that we do, we're hungry for. Then we're going to follow up with that in, yeah. in our home. And yeah. so the more we practice that with those who we have influence over, and uh, then we're able to actually in areas where we don't have influence, we can do one of two things: we can either bring our influencers into that environment. So imagine if I am part of a um, a small group of, of women in my parish who, <laughs> uh, and I've got two options, right? A small group of women who want to see a change in our parish. We could either A, go knock on our pastor's door and say, Father, you're doing things wrong. This is how things have to happen, right? 
Or B, we could start living a way of life together as the women in our parish and say we want our way of life to become so attractive and compelling within the parish that people are going to start asking us, why do you live that way? Yeah. And how do you, like, how can I get what you have? Right. That's and awesome. so, so these, if, if you've, because I, I find a lot of times, um, the, there's there's small groups of people in a parish who want to to influence change, but they don't know how to, right? Yeah. And I think if they really determine this is the kind of life we want to live, we want to we want to be, you know, like if it's Jesus centered, mission focused, and joy filled, these are the things we want. So we're going to live this way of life. And then when someone asks us, like, well, how do I live how you're living? Then we can we know how to form people into that way of life. The religious are great at this, right? The Benedictines, the the Franciscans, Dominicans—they've been doing it forever. Like we want to be, uh, we want to live a way of life that has poverty, chastity, and obedience at its core, right? And so they mm. they live poverty. And when you see a Franciscan living poverty, it's not that the Franciscan has to go up and preach about poverty to you and tell you to renounce your eye, but instead you're you're just convicted by holy smokes. This person has gone all in for the gospel, and they've renounced the good of the treasures of this world for the treasures of the kingdom of God, and their apostolic witness compels you to embrace poverty in your own way of yep. life. Yep. And they've never even they've never even told you to do that. Yep. That their way of life is so compelling, if lived well, that, that it causes conversion in your life. So let our lives be a witness. All right. So if we're going to get practical steps for how to accomplish transformation, how to how to transform culture, you know, whether it be in your workplace, whether it be in your family, whether it be in your parish, um, how would you label that first step? You know, maybe to live by witness, to live through relationship and to, and to decide that I want my lifestyle to be compelling. One of my favorite authors, uh, Father Thomas DeBay, he calls it apostolic credibility, mm. that your lifestyle is credible because of the way you live your life, yep. uh, that everything you say is, is credible. I can, I can preach Jesus because I live Jesus. Yep. You know, my life is, is credible. Yep. Cool. So if, if that's our first step, if our first step is living a life that's credible um, and living a life that wants to be emulated, maybe a second step for us in terms of the transformation of culture that I'd suggest would be becoming engaged, mm-hmm. right? It's so easy to be a, you know, a, a backseat driver. Uh, it's so easy to be one who's, who's dissatisfied with the way things are going, but it's unwilling to make a change. Um, and I, I don't know what the motivation for that would be. I think, I think sometimes... We're, we're just, uh, you might feel overburdened. We might feel too busy, but I think maybe a, a bigger motivating factor would be the idea that, um, you know, I can't possibly make a difference. I can't possibly make an impact. So, uh, you know, I'll give, I'll give a, I'll give a, a personal testimony. So it, I, I was, I was a member of a parish for, for years before, um, before moving up to where we're, we're currently living. And, um, and it wasn't out of any desire to see things change, um, but I have a love for music and had always wanted to be a member of uh, of our music ministry in our parish. And the only real opportunity for that for me was to join our parish choir, right? And um, you know, at the at the 
bright young age of 21 years old in joining our parish choir i lowered the average age by about 40 years <laughs> and uh and not not really our, our parish choir was actually pretty awesome um but what happened was was simply me being present not because i, I wanted to drive things or change things or i had an agenda in becoming engaged but simply by me becoming a participating member that the culture of our parish choir began to change, right? And, um, you know, we, we adopted new perspective and there was new life and in, in kind of injected into, into the process. And when we engaged in new conversations that ultimately led to, um, some really cool developments within our, within the culture of our parish choir. And, um, I don't think it's because of what I did. I think it was just because I was there, that that I saw a notable change in I don't know what might be a typical experience of being like a an uh, an unchangeable stalwart within within a parish community, mm. right? So um, whether it's uh, whether it's a you know your your parish council, whether it's your finance committee, whether it's um, whether it's a PSR program, whether it's your your church choir, you know. Uh, uh, volunteers for, for a ground crew or for your parish festival, like these things that might seem inconsequential are actually the key way that, that you can, um, that you can begin to, to influence the, you know, your faith family. So you're suggesting sitting around complaining and gossiping is not the way to influence transformation. Uh, you know, <laughs> none of us would say that that is our experience, but how, I mean, just be honest with yourself. Like how many of, how many of us default to that? It's a temptation. Yeah. Is it not? Yeah. It's, it's very easy to point out problems without engaging in solutions. And as a church, if we really want to transform the culture within our church to allow the bride to become everything she's meant to be, we have to engage and bring our gifts, bring our talent, bring our passions. And I would say thirdly, so we want to live it with authenticity, right? We want to engage. And then thirdly, we want to form a community that yeah. it's really hard for us to do it alone. Um, but when we bring people into it, people bring... Um, there's something about when others engage with you, yeah. there's, there's a power of, of transformation that can take place that, um, that when you, when you have, uh, two people, um, at a bowling alley that are living joyfully, uh, then then it's going to influence those around them, right? Or if you have five people or 10 people, so that when we start living a common way of life together and we have these friendships and, and yeah. these discipleship relationships that are compelling, then when we go to the choir... We br- we bring an even greater yeah. influence, or when yeah. we go to the the bowling alley with our friends, we bring an influence. When we go into the the our workplace, we bring an influence. And so it's not just me as a lone ranger trying to do things by myself, but I form a people, and I form a people, and I and I'm honest with them. Hey guys, what kind of lifestyle do we want to live? Like, how do we want to witness to the gospel? Right with even if it's not using words, how do we witness with the got to the gospel with our lifestyle? Yep. Okay, this is the lifestyle we're going to live. Now let's go live it where we're called to live it together, right? Yep. And that's going to it's it's the model of the early church. Jesus didn't say, "Hey disciples, I want you to go all uh into every town and every yep. village by yourselves and yep. and good luck." He he sent them out in twos, right? And you see the in the Acts of the Apostles and in the Epistles of Paul, they followed this same principle where Paul has his, like, he, he's with Timothy and Titus. Yeah. And he doesn't, it's not like I'm going to go do ministry all by myself. I'm going to take yeah. Timothy and Titus with me. 
And when I leave, I'm going to make sure I leave Timothy and Titus there together, right? So they're doing ministry together as opposed to a lone ranger all by themselves. And it's not, and it's not always for this. It's not only for the sake of strategy, right? We're not, we're not simply in this to change things. Um, but, but we ourselves will be encouraged and built up and fed, you know, Absolutely. in, in, uh, going back to my silly example, in, in my time in our parish choir, like, uh, I experienced tremendous transformation in my own life. And I began to see how other people were affecting that same transformation of our, of our culture and our community. I remember when we started Danning Youth Ministry that, um, we, we asked the question, like, who are the people that we need to learn to know? Who, who need the people that we need to meet, um, that are influencers in this parish? And it wasn't the staff members. It wasn't the leaders. It was groups of moms that met together and that did Bible studies together. It was groups of people, um, groups of dads who ultimately joined in our parish service projects with us, right? It, it, was, these, it was these communities of like-minded individuals who were just, we, we, we want to see, see the Christian life lived. So um, there's our there's our three steps for the for the for the uh, for this segment of the show that, that we've got to live lives that are authentic, we've got to engage, and we've got to ultimately form community that the bride of Christ, you know, the 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 body of Christ can't be lived in a silo. Amen. All right, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about how when we form a strong culture in the parish, then we can really start transforming culture in the world. So uh, enjoy the break. We'll be back in a short while. The leading Catholic voices are on EWTN Radio. When you are predictable in your authority, you will actually have to use that authority less. Consistent discipline leads to less constant discipline. The more you act when you need to act, the less you will have to act in the future with similar misbehavior. The Doctor is in with Dr. Ray Garendi. Monday afternoon, 1 Eastern on EWTN Radio. Unplanned, the true story of Abby Johnson. I would be the youngest director in Planned Parenthood history. She believed in a woman's right to choose. I've had an abortion myself, so I don't have any problem with another woman making the same decision. Until the day she saw something that changed everything. Tiny, perfect little baby. And then it was just gone. Now she's pulling back the curtain on the abortion industry. Unplanned. Available at EWTNRC.com and the EWTN app. Hello and welcome back to Beyond Damascus, where encounter meets mission. We want an encounter with Jesus Christ to propel us into the missionary work yeah. of the uh, sharing the gospel with the world. And we were sharing in the earlier segments about how we want to form strong, dynamic culture, a way of life as a people of God, uh-huh. and that that culture would go into the world. You know, we shared how we do that at Damascus, uh, or even how the Franciscans do it, but everyone's called to do this, right? You could you can imagine just even um, Pope Francis, he talks about how the church is a community of missionary disciples. Right there is a, is a culture. It's a way of life that yeah. we are, we're called to be a community. The church can't just be a bunch of missionary yeah. disciples and aren't in a community. We have to be a community. And then what kind of community do we have to be? We have to be a community that are disciples of Jesus, that yep. we have to follow him. And what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? And then, and what kind of disciples do we have to be? We have to be missionary disciples. We can't just be a community of disciples because then that's a country club, right? Like we're not 
not meant to be. The church isn't meant to be a country club that serves members only, but instead we're supposed to be a yeah. de- deployed army in the world seeking to advance the kingdom of God. Yeah. We have to be missionaries. And, and, and this should be the mentality that we adopt in our own lives, in our own parishes, um, in our in our businesses, in our ministries, but especially in our families. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And so if we form community and if we form culture within our parish or within our small group uh, uh, uh a Christian small group or within our family, then we can send people into the world to influence the world. And yeah. I think that's where the family model is really interesting, right? So we're not just trying to form behaviors. We're trying to form <laughs> mindsets. We're trying to form people. And when we form people with our children, if we have a way of life as a family, and then we send the, our children into the world, they're going to do one of two things. Either the world is going to influence them or they will influence the world, right? And we want to we want to prepare our children or, or the people that we're called to lead to be to become influencers. Yeah. That they would be so convicted in their way of life, and they would know who they are. Yep. As, as a member of your family, that they would be mm. uh, strong enough to go into a, a secular culture that maybe isn't living the gospel, that maybe is has rejected the gospel. And yet they're able to become influencers because yeah. they're firm and steadfast in a way of life. Oh, that's awesome. It, you know, at Damascus, we live this intentionally by, um, by adopting a mindset that we kind of label as deployment. That, that we want when uh, one of our goals in equipping missionaries, you know, we equip 170 missionaries every summer. That um, our goal isn't that they would stay and be a part of Damascus forever, uh, as much as we might like that and like them. That, but our, our our goal, honestly, is is that okay? So, you, like, you need to be deployed back into the world. You need to be deployed back into your family, back into your area of influence, and um, and ultimately, like, we want you to be able to grab onto the culture that you've experienced here and that you've grown and you've been formed in, and and influence others. Right? That um, an interesting thing happens when we see the gospels in in all of the Old Testament. There was um, there was an experience, and even in the time of Jesus, that. Uh, that whenever I encountered a leper, right, that I, I ran away and hid, or I would exile a leper. Why? Because if I touched the leper, I got leprosy. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jesus, Jesus turns the tables and he says that no, no, no. I'm I'm going to engage with with the poor, with the downcast. I'm going to engage with the sick and with with the lepers. Why? Because when Jesus touches the lepers, they don't. You know, he doesn't get leprosy; they get Jesusy. Right? <laughs> when, <laughs> when Jesus touches a leper, they get healed. Yep, and. Um, and, and so too in our life, you know, I, I wonder, I wonder how many of us have, have adopted that mindset that I've got to safeguard my family. I've got to safeguard my business. I've got to safeguard, you know, my parish or my ministry or my, you know, leadership team. Um, because gosh, if, if, if someone comes in here who, who influences us, if I invite those, you know, uh, raggedy neighbors over to my house, that my kids are going to be, are going to be influenced negatively. Like, what if we had a perspective that, no, I'm going to invite the, um, the, the kids off the street because I know that when they come into my home that they experience the life of Christ. Yeah. We say we want to form people with deployment of mind, right? Yeah. So whether it's our missionaries or the, the kids that we minister to in youth ministry at, through our summer camps and our retreats, it's that from the moment they get there, we're forming them and we're shaping them that when you go home, you're not... It's we don't want the world to touch us and us to get leprosy. We want to touch the world and them to get Jesus. And it's a it's a totally different mindset that yeah. I'm going to form my children and my family to become the influencers. And you see this. Jesus does this with his disciples where he'll send them out 
And then when they come back, because he sent them out and he equipped them when they went out, they start asking questions when they come back. Yeah. Like, hey, Jesus, I tried to cast out that demon, right? but it didn't work. Why didn't it work? He's like, oh, well, that one can only be driven out by much prayer and fasting. And then Jesus starts to coach them in the way of life he was raising them up into. And, yep. it, and I think sometimes as church, we forget to to form people with deployment in mind where because we're so focused on correcting people's behaviors, we're just like, do this, do this, do this. This is what a holy life looks like. A holy life looks like going, like checking these boxes and and not doing these things. Sometimes we forget to just form them and say, go out and bring Christ and then come back and ask questions. What's yep. not working? And, um, and, and we don't, we'll never influence the secular culture if we're not willing to go out mm. into the secular culture. I, I love the call of the Catholic lay faithful, that we are called to be the light of the world. I mean, the light of Jesus in the world, right? That um, as lay people, we are called to share the gospel in the secular world. And we do that when we have a particular way of life to share that, um, if I'm living Christianity and this way of life strong, then when I go into the secular world, I can teach people the art yeah. of living again, right? I can't teach people the art of living if I'm not living a really strong, compelling life. Yeah. And I, I guess, well, let's wrap up the show. Uh, you know, we started with, we started with the idea of, of Daniel, that when Nebuchadnezzar came to influence the nation of Israel, that he desired to do it by changing the culture of her leaders that he desired to do it by influencing the influencers. And, um, and what happened? What's the end of the story? He you know, failed. He didn't, <laughs> he didn't fail, right? That, um, that, that we see that, that ultimately, and I, I read it for yourself, right? In the first six chapters of Daniel, you see this compelling narrative that ultimately ends in the fact that Daniel himself um, and, and his brothers are able to witness to the fact that, um, that their conviction that their influence um, is is something that's able to transform the heart of a king, and ultimately, uh, you know, Daniel's narrative ends with with the king's acknowledgement of um, of his conviction, and ultimately, the king changing his own cultural perspective. Well, because the way of life that was in them yeah. was greater than the way of life that was in the king. Amen. And so, if we want to transform people, and if we want to tra- transform the culture. Our way of life as church has to be so compelling and so convicting that the world looks to us and says, teach me how to live. Yeah. You could read a thousand different books about how to do this well. Um, these are three practical steps today, and I hope it's been inspiring for you. Uh, I, I just want to close in prayer today. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Jesus, let our hearts be convicted that, that we have a call in our lives to influence the lives of others. God, that we have a call on our lives to influence the culture of this world, that the culture's not lost, but that our churches, our families, God, our businesses, every sphere of influence where we find ourselves, we have, we have an evangelistic call to, to influence the world in powerful ways. Jesus, give us the grace to be able to respond to that. Holy Spirit, fill us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd show us even now um, what it is that you want us to change. What relationship is it that you want us to engage in so that we can adopt that transformative way of life. Thank you, Lord. 
Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. If you're looking for a compelling uh, summer camp program for your young people, uh, check out Catholic Youth Summer Camp uh, that Aaron and I run at CYSC.com for middle school and high school age young people here in Central Ohio. Mm-hmm. And if you'd like to uh, download more episodes of our podcast, you can download, I mean, of our show, you can download our podcast wherever podcasts are fu- found. This is Beyond Damascus, a co-production of St. Gabriel Catholic Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. We will see you soon next week.